Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. Today's guest is Jacob Beckley, founder of Cure Token and the Beckley Foundation. With the Cure Token, Jacob's mission is to fund pediatric cancer research and to help families with the oftentimes crushing financial burden of medical costs. But Jacob's mission goes beyond philanthropy. It also involves a project currently in development to create a blockchain that will revolutionize medical research. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jacob. So Jacob, thank you so much. I'm glad we're finally able to speak. I know you've been through uh, quite a whirlwind in the last couple of weeks, big news. So just thanks for, for joining me tonight. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, there's been a, a lot that's happened over the past past week and seems like every week it's something new. Yeah, we talked uh, maybe about two weeks ago just to kind of get to know each other a little bit better. And um, I mean, some of the stuff that you were saying in, in the short time we were able to speak was pretty thought-provoking. And then, um, and I knew you had some things down the pipeline and here it is coming to fruition. So where do we begin, right? Because there's so many things. Uh, your story is pretty unique or, you know, or pretty, in- really interesting, really. I want to start here. You had a foundation, the Beckley Foundation, and uh, you're a philanthropist, right? You've, you created this foundation uh, for uh, pediatric uh, cancer patients. And I'll kind of I'll let, you, let you take that off. Um, what was the genesis for creating your Beckley Foundation? Yeah, absolutely. So the foundation was founded in 2016 as a 501c3 nonprofit organization in the US. But I've actually started raising money for pediatric cancer many years before. I think the first thing that I had ever done was in 2011 or 2012. And I was uh, attracted to the idea of raising money for pediatric cancer because I had met a researcher that was just so passionate about this work. And I mean, she was a, you know, a surgeon during the day and like working very long hours. And all of her free time was dedicated to pediatric cancer research. And that moved me. And at the same time, I met a lot of families along that way. And I think the families is what convinced me that this is where I need to dedicate my life. So I dedicated my life to a life of service many years ago. And uh, the families I've met are families that have either lost their children to childhood cancer or were still suffering through it. And I became friends with these people. You know, I mean, you work alongside them, you, you kind of understand their challenges and what they're going through and, and inevitably you sympathize and, and want to help them in any way you can. So uh, I guess at that point in 2012, I had met, uh, you know, the first families. And then I guess since that point until the current time, I mean, it's been hundreds of families that we've met and become friends with and supported in a variety of different ways, whether it's just helping them uh, connect with additional resources or helping them financially. Uh, you know, the, the sad truth of it is, is that when a family is, is uh, diagnosed with a child with cancer, more times than not, it's almost guaranteed that that family is going to have financial burdens and potentially have to claim bankruptcy. And it's a, it's a struggle that I feel is not necessary. And the reason as well that I, I chose pediatric cancer or research as my calling is because I work a day job in innovation. And you know my, my job is about trying to find uh, breakthroughs, new ideas, new concepts, new ways of doing things. And I truly believe that cancer as a whole, whether it's childhood or adulthood, the solve for that, for that problem is going to come out of pediatric cancer research. You know, it's, it's at the inception. It's when it's at the youngest stages, the youngest phases of cancer. So I believe by focusing on the most aggressive forms of pediatric cancer, I think we're going to have breakthroughs that already will cascade throughout all forms of cancer. And it already has to this day. Yeah. So you told me uh, you had the, the surgeon and she dedicated all her time there. Uh, and you've been involved since 2011, 2012. So you start the found your foundation in 2016. What have you been able to do in that time? Because I know you've, you've done so, you know, you've been in the news before for other things. You know, there's a legitimacy here that, that comes with what you do with your foundation, right? And you've been very transparent about it. Could you list a few things like what are some events that you do? How much money have you raised? And I know you've been involved with, you know, something even rowing across uh, Lake Michigan, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in, I think, 2015, I did a, uh, a campaign which was called Summit for a Cure 
which which I picked one of the tallest mountains in North America and uh, wanted to climb it. I think at that point, uh, you know, I raised probably like three thousand dollars. It was nothing significant, and but it meant a lot to me that I was putting myself out there. You know, my day job, I'm a developer, you know, a technologist, and I sit behind a computer all day. I'm not athletic at all, and I, I wanted to put myself out there and challenge myself both physically and mentally. So I trained for a very long period of time to get myself into shape to do it, and then and then did it. And then in 2016, I woke up in the middle of the night thinking, I got to do something something else this year. Every year I wanted to do something new that really pushes me. And I woke up in the middle of the night with this crazy idea that, uh, you know, just like, I wonder if anyone's ever rode across Lake Michigan. And for anyone who doesn't know what Lake Michigan is, it's a very large body of water that connects Michigan with uh, Illinois, specifically Chicago, is where I uh, uh, went into. So I spent the whole night researching it, Googling it. I didn't know what rowing was. I didn't know what the distance was. I didn't even know if it was possible. Uh, but uh, I found out that it hadn't been done yet. So I started looking into uh, what kind of boat I would need to purchase, you know, how this would occur, how long it would take, uh, what is rowing, because I had no idea what rowing was. And from that, I discovered pretty quickly that there wasn't a boat that would work for this type of journey. You know, they make, you know, rowboats and, and they make rowing boats, but rowing boats are traditionally for like smooth bodies of water, rivers, things like that. So I actually had to uh, build a boat from scratch and spent the next six months building a boat in my garage and, you know, got it to the point where it was uh, seaworthy and then started my journey from Michigan to Chicago and it took about 25 hours nonstop. You know, which is uh, 65 miles. So it was many marathons back to back to back. And it was exhausting. So from that, uh, that caught the attention of another charity and former pro bowler, Charles Pina Tillman here in Chicago. He played for the Bears for many years. Uh, and uh, he's a you know great guy. His foundation, his daughter had a heart transplant uh, when she was three months old. And he says, uh, he came to one of my fundraisers. We host fundraisers all year long. We have fundraising events and we try to bring as many people to them as possible. And at one of the fundraisers, I was introducing him to a bunch of people and all these people kept telling him about this road that I had done. And he had never heard of it. He didn't know anything about it. And at the end of the night, he says, if you ever do it again, I'll be your wingman and we'll do it together. The old Top Gun uh, saying. So we spent the next year uh, designing our own boat, building our own boat together, nights and weekends in our garage. And we did it again. And this time it took a bit longer because the boat was a lot heavier. And uh, everyone said, you know, this should go a lot faster. You know, you got two people and you got Charles Tillman. He's a pro athlete. What people don't know, and I joke about this, and he's probably going to hit me for this one, but he's a sprinter. You know, he's the kind of guy who, you know, the, the ball is, I don't know the expression, I don't know football that well, but the ball is hiked, I guess, hiked. And, you know, he would run as fast as he could from A to B. You know, he's not a, a marathon type of guy. And what we were training for was a long distance marathon. And it was 90% mental. And that's why he was the right person for it. You know, so it was a, it was a great journey, you know, and, and every year we had done something or I had done something like this. And this was the year I did something with him. So since 2016, uh, through a variety of different fundraising events, whether it's putting myself out there or hosting uh, in-person cocktail parties and other types of fundraising uh, events, I had raised about a million dollars since 2016. And then the pandemic hit and all of that stopped. I wasn't the only foundation that struggled during the pandemic. I think uh, you talk to anybody in philanthropy or, or, or anyone who has a foundation or a charity, the same thing happened. You weren't able to do in-person events. You weren't able to do your tr traditional fundraising initiatives. And, you know, myself being in innovation and technology, I just thought, you know, there's got to be a way to solve this problem. And, you know, from that, it was uh, the idea that crypto is topical. You know, everyone's talking about Dogecoin and all these other types of cryptocurrencies. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it might be a, a new venture, you know, try to figure out can, can a token exist that has a, a purpose of charity and a purpose of philanthropy. So I went off and, and developed it, launched it, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a success. You know, we were in our V2 contract. The, the V1 had some, some technical uh, challenges that we had to work through. But uh, the second contract has been a great success, and and we're just pleased with the result. I think at one point uh, we were generating, I think, ten thousand dollars a day for the foundation. And to put that in perspective, when I started this, I was hoping to, on an optimistic level, hoping to raise two fifty, three hundred dollars a day, because that was my commitment to uh, cancer research. 
So it was just great to see that it was succeeding and, and going great. And, and up to this point, since it launched, uh, which was in September, September is also Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. So since it launched, we've raised about $400,000. That's gone to direct family support uh, worldwide, as well as uh, pediatric cancer research. And that's been uh, worldwide as well. So we've been able to do a significant amount of stuff in a very short period of time. And we're not even done. I and mean, we're just getting started with the potential of what this is going to become. So that's awesome. And I kind of want to go a little bit back to what you were talking about. So number one, you've rode uh, Lake Michigan twice. <laughs> so it never, you know, to your research, you've never done it before. You did it twice. And then the second thing is the pandemic hits and you've got your, your charity, you've raised a million dollars for the charity. Could you give me a, uh, you know, an idea of how, how much the fundraising stopped at that point? Like once the pandemic hit? I would say nearly 100%. It was like overnight. And the challenge there is that when the pandemic first really started to hit the U.S., so like mid-March of 2020, everything consolidated. If you remember, businesses were putting people on furlough. Uh, they were cutting all unnecessary expenses. That's from a business perspective. But when you look at the personal lives of people, the exact same thing happened. You know, people didn't know what was going to come out of the pandemic. It was a very big time of uncertainty. And the result of that is, is you know, philanthropy and and charitable giving sort of stops. You know, people don't know what's going to happen, so the, the their first thing on their mind isn't about giving to others. So it was a, it was an overnight thing, and it took about I would, I would say two or three months of that before uh, the pivot happened. And it's like something's got to change. And when Cure started, you know, I, I had no idea that there were other types of charity projects that had existed before Cure. You know, I you know naively thought that it was a a, a novel idea. The reality of it is, is that the crypto space was littered with previous charity projects, and many of them were just pulling at people's heartstrings and ended up being rug pulls or scams or other types of honeypots and things. These are words I didn't know back then as well. So, so these are all new terms and new new things. But uh, but I had no idea, no perspective of that. And I think I came on the heels of a, a very large project, which was called Save the Kids, which ended up being a rug pull, a very large scale rug pull. So starting a project in September, right on the heels of that, was was really difficult. Uh, but the community that we got into the project just believed in the idea behind it. They believe in me because I'm a spokesperson. I'm out there all day long on video, trying to talk to people, trying to create partnerships and sponsorships, and reaching outside of crypto because this project is resonating probably farther outside of crypto than it is inside of crypto, attracting more people into crypto. You know, I think the authenticity and the transparency of the project is what has enabled us to be successful and still be here at the point we're at when a lot of projects don't get past the 30-day, 60-day time frame. And a lot of them start and then they they disappear just as quickly as they started. And we are are just getting started. There's so much happening this year. And uh, something I'd love to talk about in a bit here is about the future of Cure and what we're going to be doing from a technology perspective. It's just revolutionary. And it's just branching so far further outside of the crypto space as we know it today, Ethereum and BSC, and we're going to go um, develop our own blockchain or right on the rails of an existing blockchain in a way that's completely revolutionary. hundred percent. I kind of want to get down to the fundamentals of Cure Token. So you developed a cryptocurrency. This is a cryptocurrency. It's not a, uh, you know, necessarily like a, a governance token. It's a, a currency and you develop this out of necessity. And now when somebody buys this this uh, cure token, right, a percentage of that goes to your foundation, and then the rest is you know do what you will with it, right? It, it, you're able to buy it. You're able to buy it on uh, right now Pancake Swap. Is that correct? Yes, Pancake Swap, and we were just listed on a tier two exchange called L Bank. L Bank, okay. And then you also developed a way to buy it using just your standard you know easy user experience thing, where you could just purchase some of it with a bank deposit or a credit card. It's actually easier than that. Going back to the roots I described, you know, I work in innovation. I work for some of the biggest brands in the world uh, on innovation, helping them transform digitally and through a technology standpoint to develop new products and new concepts and bring them to market. And I applied that to philanthropy and I applied that to crypto. So as uh, you know, this project got started, I start to see all of these challenges and issues from a user experience perspective, from a technology perspective, and all these challenges slash opportunities. And one of those was that it was so difficult for people to purchase and acquire our project because it's on the BSC uh, network, which here in the U.S. is really difficult to get uh, onto that network and get BNB and all of that. If we were on Ethereum, it might be a different story, but it was extremely difficult. 
So I had, you know, friends and family and extended friends calling me on a regular basis, uh, like saying, how do I get this? What do I got to do? You know, what is a wallet? What is this exchange? What, you know, pancake swap? I don't want to deal with pancake swap and all of these other types of things. And I look at that as a, First off, it was time consuming for me to be setting up wallets for people and acquiring BNB and then swapping it for them and then transferring the private keys to them. It was just a cumbersome process. But I looked at it as an opportunity. We needed to create technology that simplified that process and made it easier for people to get into cryptocurrency. And as I said, you know, most people who are coming into Cure at this point were people outside of crypto. We were getting friends and families, aunts and uncles, I mean, just people who knew nothing about the cryptocurrency space. So we developed a product which is called CurePay. And CurePay is an easy on-ramp that you could leverage any payment method. So this is like your traditional Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover card, I think even diners, you know, all of them. And it was working through this uh, Stripe network as well as PayPal. You would transact, you would say how many US dollars did you want to spend? It would translate that to tokens. And then the whole backend process kicked in. So from that point forward, it was an automation tool. It was an automation software platform. We're not an exchange. We're not out there holding money. All we're doing is facilitating a transaction through automation. So we would transfer BNB in the equivalent US dollar value to a dynamically generated wallet that has secure private keys stored that I, even I can't get to. And those and that BNB gets transferred there. And then through automation as well, we would connect with the PancakeSwap API and convert those BNB into... Cure token. We would then have a dashboard. So these people would get an email with access to their custom dashboard where they could see the tokens they purchased, all the transaction history, and then they could do additional features like request their private keys. And then they would get a QR code and it would show them their private keys. There was additional features like, uh, uh, like obviously buying more, uh, the ability to sell, ability to transfer to a wallet of your choice outside of uh, any other tokenomics, so 0% transfers. And other types of features like staking and stuff like that. Those are things that are there in place today, as well as some things that are con- uh, on our roadmap for the future. So this product is the easiest on-ramp of all crypto that I've ever seen. You know, and I've used Simplex and MoonPay early on, uh, Binance and Crypto.com and all these others. And it's uh, it's difficult to navigate, especially if you don't know what a wallet is or you don't know what an exchange is. And we just wanted to make it feel like you're buying a pair of shoes online on Amazon. And that's it. Uh, so we've added some more layers to it over time uh, because, you know, this space is, is littered with fraud. You know, there's a lot of people that are out to scam others, get private keys, take advantage of others and, you know, try to find ways to make a quick buck. So we've added in additional security, layers of security, different measures. Uh, so we've added in a KYC process. But I insisted on not putting the KYC process at the beginning of the purchase, but rather at the time you want to request your private keys because I don't want to create a barrier to purchase and acquire Cure Token, but I want to protect the other holders within CurePay and, and within Cure Token. So the KYC is a mandatory process in order to request your private keys, which I think is a reasonable exchange. You know, this is a difficult place to, to be in, if, especially if you don't have a lot of knowledge or education on the space. And I, again, just want to protect the, the current holders, the current people who purchase through CurePay, and that, that seemed to be the best way to do it. But it's the easiest on-ramp. There's a 5% transaction fee, which is really a processing fee, which covers the credit card uh, processing mechanism through Stripe and PayPal and the infrastructure it's required to support this from a technology perspective. Gotcha. A couple of things. So it seems to me like you've really thought out the process. I mean, you've, it seems like you've, you've really kind of put a lot of thought into how people, the barriers to buying crypto. And then in doing that, you've developed this product that it's accessible to everybody now. And, uh, you know, you're talking about being, even being able to stake your coins, right? That's not something that beginners can just do. But um, if, you, if you're able to do that through CurePay and it's a seamless process, right? That's pretty awesome, right? Yeah. I think the best part of it, you know, I think you're, you're leading to this, I think. But the, I think the best part of it is that this is a real utility at the end of the day. You know, not a lot of projects have this type of on-ramp. They're only able to tap into people who are educated on what crypto space is and what a wallet is and an exchange and PooCoin, PancakeSwap, all these other terms that just scare people. And we wanted to make it as simple as possible. So the utility here, it's built for Cure. You know, it's built for us to be able to have an on-ramp for people to get to Cure. But the future of this utility is to revolutionize the BSC space and Ethereum space by allowing people to adapt this and adopt this into their own 
uh, projects and white label this solution so that all the other legitimized, legitimate projects out there will be able to license this technology and not for, you know, crazy amounts of fees and, you know, not, not like a, you're paying 80,000 to get not listed on an exchange. I mean, this is, this is just, Hey, I want, I want people to use this. I want people to get educated on crypto and learn how to do it and, and find an easy way into it. And that's what CurePay is about. And I, I think that the way we're looking at a lot of different monetization strategies, but at the end of the day, we're not out to make money. You know, that's not what this is about. You know, we're out to, to help the cause uh, to, uh, you know, further our mission. So what we feel is probably the most economical way for other projects to get onboarded is by having a, a very small managed service fee and potentially even a very small uh, percentage, a half a percent or something like that of every transaction that goes directly into the Cure Token liquidity to help build our project and make it more sustainable for the future. And then also with that, you said you've raised $400,000 since you launched Cure Token. What percentage of somebody's purchase goes towards the foundation? 3%. Actually, that was what it was up until a few days ago. We just actually changed our tokenomics. Uh, we've been decreasing our tokenomics. We started at a 12% total, which is pretty high, uh, but uh, not uncommon for a BSC project. And then we put it down to 10% uh, around November. And this week, we dropped it to 8%. Uh, so our strategy around tokenomics is to uh, decrease them over time and probably 1% to 2% every few months to make it more economical for people to enter into the project and exit. Our charity wallet and funds used to be 3%, but as of this week, it went to 4 and we've decreased the other ancillary taxes within the tokenomics this week. That's awesome that you're able to decrease the overall fees while also raising the amount that the foundation gets, which is, I mean, a win-win, right? I think the reason that that's possible, and I don't think a lot of projects can do it, but I think the reason it's possible is because of my my background in tech, you know, I've, I've been doing marketing and technology for decades. And what our strategy is, is a strategy around optimization. And we're a very sophisticated project when it comes to marketing. We have a lot of analytics in place, a lot of tracking. We spend a lot of time in reports and trying to understand what's worked so that every single dollar that's spent is an effective use of that dollar. And that's the same that you have to do when you're, when you're dealing with a foundation, you know, I mean, every dollar matters, you know, it's so valuable that you want to make sure that that dollar is going to a good purpose and a good use. You know, our foundation, just to go back to that a second, but when I started the foundation in 2016, I looked at other foundations and I saw a flaw. And the flaw was that foundations, when they get to a certain scale, they are no longer a dollar in, dollar out foundation. You know, and I give several examples of this, and I don't want to throw foundations under the bus, but you can think of some of the biggest, where you give them a dollar of your hard-earned money and 20% of it actually goes to people in need. That's a broken system. They get so big that they're spending so much on marketing and operations and facilities and all of these other things that they've lost sight of the true end goal and the true end mission. And this foundation, when I started, I said, I'm never going to become that kind of foundation ever. I, I don't want to give another example, but it's just something I didn't want to do. And so early on, when, when I started the foundation, I believed in that so much that my wife and I made a commitment that every dollar in, we would put another 50% on top of that. So $1.50 out. And we maintained that for three years. And then we went to a dollar in, dollar out. And that's important to me that we don't get too big of a foundation or too large scale or, or uh, spend so much money that somebody donates you know, $100 and only 20 of it goes out. That's that's broken system. So we've been able to, to solve that both from the foundation perspective and from Cure Tokens perspective, because we're really smart about how we spend the money and where it goes. And obviously being a foundation, we try everything we can to get businesses and marketers and influencers to really help us out because we're out here to really make a difference at the end of the day. And I believe that the project's being run well, as well as the foundation. So this is something the dollar in dollar out that I, I am never going to lose on the foundation side. It's so ingrained in, in what I stand for and what I want the foundation to stand for. So far as uh, we, from a foundation perspective, are partnering with other foundations that are like-minded. And the cool thing about this space of supporting causes, you know, especially around children and childhood cancer, is that more times than not, the foundations that get started are foundations started from the family. Potentially their, their child has, has uh, died from a disease and they go and start a foundation to keep the memory alive. And they enroll their families and friends and their communities and all of that. Those are the best foundations. Those are the foundations that have a really small footprint, but their reach and their ability to do good is significant. 
So we're trying to partner with those types of foundations and enable them and through Cure, you know, and try to find who are these foundations. And I know so many of them throughout my years in, in philanthropy and try to figure out what we can do to make sure that they are sustainable, that they're successful and that they're going to be here a very long time. One of, one of the facts out there about foundations like these small ones is that more times than not, they get to about seven years old and then the foundation just sort of stifles away. And that's because of a variety of different reasons. But, but more times than not, they just need more support. They need to navigate that seven-year itch, that, that gap period. Or these foundations get so large, you know, they go national and they, they become really well-known. And then they get down to, you know, 60% out or 40% out. And then I'm just like, that's not the way to do it. So let's find a way that we can create a network of these small foundations and build a bigger mega foundation that's just out there to do good. That's the only purpose and not out there to, to make money or pay salaries or anything like that. And that's, that's something I'm really passionate about. And I believe Cure is going to be the enablement vehicle for that as well. Everything you're saying, I'm absorbing, Jacob. And at the beginning of the podcast, I said there's so many things to talk about. There, there truly are. And I, I kind of want to put Cure Token right now, what we're talking about. So you've, you've developed a cryptocurrency where portion of those the, the purchases go toward your foundation okay and this is a cryptocurrency that can be staked you know it can be it can be swapped there's a liquidity pool for it and it's there there's so much more from there that we can talk about what i want to do is pause because of what you just said for a minute could you give me uh, an example or even two of exactly what it is the impact that you've had right and, uh, and what i mean by that is a specific example of how you're making a difference in in a family's life you know or in a child's life what are we talking about here yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of examples. We've been able to do a lot of grants. Uh, we have a grant application form on our website where anyone can submit a very simple application. I think it's four or five form fields and request a grant for someone they know, a family, a foundation, or research. And we've received quite a few grants through that. Uh, one of these was a boy uh, named Lucas, a four-year-old boy uh, with leukemia. And he's had leukemia uh, his entire life. And this family has never been able to do anything fun with him. It's their lives revolve around, you know, cancer. Cancer is their, the word in their household that everything, their whole lives revolve around it, their conversations, everything they do on a daily basis, uh, just everything. And uh, we wanted to do something different. He had just finished uh, one of his last uh, chemotherapy uh, sessions and was healthy enough that uh, he could travel. And we wanted to give them an opportunity to have a, a trip of a lifetime. And remember, this, this boy had never been on a vacation. I mean, his whole life had been around cancer. So we went over and above and just tried to figure out what can we do to make this a memorable experience that, that he'll never forget and his family can spend quality time with him and vice versa. So we paid for an all expense paid trip, unlimited budget for he and his family to go to Disney World, which here in the US is, is, a, is a pretty cool thing to do. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty nice uh, vacation. And they just took their trip, I think, uh, last week or the week before. And sent, they sent us some photos. And he, he had the biggest smile on his face. But what that means you know, for, for Cure and for me is that we were able to do something for families like that example that uh, they would never have been able to afford anything like that. I mean, they all, their whole life revolves around cancer. And what people don't understand is when you have a child with cancer, every part of your existence revolves around that child. And uh, it's, it's a difficult situation for a family to be in. And if we could, you know, give them some, uh, you know, escape from that for a, for a few days, that that's rewarding. That's awesome. That's an example where we've just helped the family. But what we do a lot of is direct family support, you know, so we get a lot of grants with uh, grants applications with people who uh, can't pay their mortgage or getting evicted, losing their car, uh, you know, those types of, of things. Because that you know, more times than not, that's going to happen to the family, you know, because they're spending so much money on care and in-home care and prescriptions and medications and all these things that unfortunately in the U.S. at least aren't, aren't free. You know, you have to pay for these things. And there's a lot of foundations that help in this scenario. We're not the only one, but, uh, but we do help in paying, paying mortgages, paying rent. Uh, we, we paid uh, rent and mortgages for uh, a number of families all throughout the U.S. and inclusive of the world. We're doing a charity drop next week in the U.K. A month ago, we did uh, some support for hospitals and a, a family with child with cancer in Africa. We, we don't discriminate on region or situation. We just want to do as much good as possible. And one of the things that we're, we're going to be doing a lot of uh, more recently 
is that we're going to involve our community much more in those decision-making processes. Not to discriminate like who should we help, but just how much should we help. So we're going to be telling a lot more about the individual cases and get our community really involved in the level of impact that we can provide. So it's, it's, it's really remarkable what we've been able to do in a short period of time. As I said, we're just starting and there's just so much more on the horizon. You know, years ago when I started the foundation, you know, the foundation was focused primarily on pediatric cancer research. And because I believe that, uh, as I said, research with pediatric cancer is going to have cascading effects. That's where we need to spend money. That's where we need to find good researchers. And even with CURE, we funded a lot of research all over at uh, uh, different uh, hospitals throughout the U.S. And, and Puerto Rico. But what I've thought about recently is, and this also is an, a result of the pandemic, but it's, is the research being done well? And is it, is the money going to the right place? And could we be doing better? And, you know, I want to talk about that in a bit, but that's the future of CURE is how can we enable researchers to be more successful in what they do and, and you know, be motivated to have faster and more breakthroughs. And I think we've kind of cracked that nut and figured it out. And now it's a matter of building the technology to support it and, and arming uh, the world with this new technology. So what I want to ask is, what do you mean by that, by, by having cracked that nut? What insight have you gained from there? And what does Cure Token, what, what is its role, right? Um, because you have a big vision for it. You, you know its mission, but you have this big vision for Cure Token as really a cryptocurrency for the future of potentially health, all of healthcare or a, lo- a large part of healthcare. And I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but could you share that vision? And what is it that you've, you've found in, it seems to me, trying to be more efficient with your money and with all the systems in place. That's exactly right. You know, so when when Cure started, probably within probably a few weeks of when it came out, it became pretty apparent that uh, that Cure stood for something greater uh, than than just pediatric cancer or just Cure token. That the way it was resonating in the communities and when it was spoken about, it was it was bigger. And I'll give you an example. You know, one of the things that that Cure started to create a movement around was this concept of making healthcare around the world accessible, equal, and affordable. Because everywhere in the world, you don't have equal healthcare. You know, you don't ha- always have affordability of healthcare. You know, U.S. is a great example, but you go to other, other places throughout the world and it's, it's not quality healthcare a lot of times. And Cure started to resonate as the vehicle to, to make a change there from the ground up, almost like decentralizing finance, you know, that concept which resonated and took years to do. You know, at first, this was a scary place and and banks and financial institutions were threatened by cryptocurrency. They were threatened by this concept of of decentralized exchange of of value. But inevitably, they all adopted it and they all came on board. And now every financial institution and bank in the world deals in cryptocurrency because they need to, because it was community-driven and community-led. The same thing is going to be happening with healthcare. The healthcare system throughout the world is is a broken system. It doesn't matter where you live. You could live someplace where you have free healthcare. You could live where you pay for it. It doesn't matter. It's a broken system. And the only way that system is going to change is from the ground up, from a community-driven, decentralized system of healthcare. So CURE started to resonate in the communities as being the vehicle to do that. And we've explored that, and we've got some ideas of how we can actually you know, initiate change. We're not going to make the change, but we can help initiate it. Uh, through the cure uh, concept. The second thing, uh, and, and this is the one I'm extremely passionate about, is the future utility of cure is what is called the cure chain. And the cure chain is another result of the pandemic. And being, again, an innovation, you know, I think a lot. I mean, my, my life is about thinking and dissecting problems and analyzing and trying to reassemble situations and connecting seemingly invisible dots together throughout my experiences and my journeys. And that, you know, that's how cure came together. But as I was sitting during the pandemic, I stopped and paused and and reflected. And I said, how is it that we were able to come out with a vaccine so quickly for this catastrophic, you know, ailment that we didn't know much about, but it happened so quickly. And then it was mainstream even more quickly. And when you break that problem down, you, you bucket it into a few different categories. I mean, there's hundreds of different, hundreds and thousands of different reasons and 
and variables that come into play. But when you start to bucket them into to sort of categories, you realize that there were really three primary drivers for that situation to occur. One is that we had an immense amount of accessible data and information. Every country was working together. All research labs stopped working in these silos and pockets throughout the world. And we started to work together and we were giving people data and we were giving people, you know, the means, you know, at the end of the day to get to, to find a solution. The other variable was that we didn't know how bad and devastating this was. So there was a fear aspect and component to this that drove the real time need and desire and initiative to make a change. So these situations of data, accessibility of data, of getting researchers to collaborate and then having this real incentive and motivator that's driving the process to occur, that can be bottled up and applied to all different types of diseases. And it should be. You know, researchers shouldn't be working on the same research on other parts of the world. We should be more efficient about how research occurs. We should be more efficient on the data that's getting accessed. So the concept that, that has come to life is this concept for CureChain, which is a community-driven, community kind of community-led, a decentralized research vehicle where it's leveraging the power of NFTs and, and specifically dynamic NFTs. So if you know, I mean, sure, this whole community does, but everyone here knows what an NFT is, it's, you know, non-fungible token. You know, and the, the great thing about it is that there's proof of authority, there's proof of ownership, uh, there's accountability. But one of the cool things about it is that it has a reward uh, system based into it. So the author of an NFT can build into the smart contract that they want to make 10% off of every sale of that NFT in perpetuity. So it's this idea that you create or, or create this music and then you license it and then for the rest of your life, you're owning royalties on it. When you look at that and you apply that to this ecosystem of a reward-based NFT system blockchain, that becomes pretty valuable because, you know, it's, and then you layer on tokenomics to that. It becomes even more valuable. You know, the concept of a cryptocurrency that uh, has its own tokenomics, but at the same time, every single token is a smart contract that opens up a lot of possibilities to what, uh, what we can do and how we can leverage that. So this idea, uh, and it's actually in development, but this idea is to combine the power of dynamic NFTs, tie that to personal health information and, and specifically, I mean, all, but specifically around rare disease or specifically pediatric cancer, and then have this NFT be tied to an individual anonymously and agnostically. So there's no PHI or personal health uh, information that's identifiable, which uh, gets around a lot of regulations. That's the power of the blockchain. And this NFT lives throughout its life cycle and data gets appended to this. And this could be through a variety of different means. It could be through family participation, health institutions, hospitals, insurance providers, pharmaceutical companies, the whole gamut. Everybody can participate in the, I guess, the creation or the accumulation of content. On the research side, researchers spend a lot of money on a yearly basis accumulating data. And this is first and second and third party data. For first party data, they're, they're doing their own tests. They're doing uh, medical studies and all those sorts of things. Second party data is usually acquired through their network of their research network or hospital institution. But third party is uh, hard to get to. And a lot of times it's not real time or it's, uh, it's just not, it's not considered extremely valuable, but it can be. And this is a, a vehicle. So CureChain is a vehicle to get access to that data. The third component is creating that sense of urgency. And that sense of urgency is created through a, a variety of different uh, methods. One is uh, by creating the access to the data there would be a natural incentive for researchers to want to do more with that data. And I'm not saying there's no data today. There's a lot of data sources out there today that are accessible, but they're not on the blockchain. They're not community driven at all, hundred um, percent. And uh, you know, there's, it's just not enough of it. So uh, by giving the data, motivating, you know, creating this incentive, which is going to be fueled by the tokenomics and cure is this idea of bounties that are significant and massive rewards where the researchers now have financial uh, incentive to keep their labs open and keep their research going, almost how they get grants today, but now it's being fueled through cryptocurrency and the blockchain and tokenomics as opposed to 
people behind a, a desk and a, making decisions as a board on who they should fund and who they shouldn't. There should be a community-driven initiative on where funds should go and what research uh, we should enable to occur. And hearing you talk about this, and I want to kind of go into some of the a few of those details there because it seems like it's a a relatively novel concept. I, I love the idea and I'm, I'm kind of following along, but a, a commentary, right? So I don't know if you remember the the bucket challenge with ALS, with Lou Gehrig's disease. And one of the great things about, about it was that it was it raised a ton of awareness and a ton of money. But then one of the things it, it raised awareness about was exactly how, how little money had actually went into research up to that point for ALS, right? And you would think that's something that's like named after an iconic baseball player, Lou Gehrig's disease, and something that that's been kind of out there, like um, the book Tuesdays with Maury is is, is based based on a uh, older gentleman right dying of the disease. You would have thought that it had more funny, and then when you compare it to other diseases, and I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to say that one is more important than the other, but you recognize that not not everything is researched on the same level, right? Uh, not even close. And then the second thing that I would kind of get into that blockchain is, you know, you're talking about making an, an NFT with personal uh, health information, so like. We're talking about maybe anonymously uploading uh, a patient's, you know, health records for the benefit of researchers, right? And having that open to any researcher around the world so they can connect some dots, just like they did with COVID-19. That's exactly right. You know, pediatric cancer is what I'm passionate about, but this is not built exclusively for pediatric cancer. I mean, ALS, I mean, I, I have personal connection with ALS as well, and you know, that's a very devastating disease. And the Ice Bucket Challenge did generate a lot of funds, but even more importantly, a lot of awareness, which this problem needs. And it's not exclusive to pediatric cancer or ALS. It's all a disease, and it's even rare disease. And there's really no motivation at the end of the day for, and, and this this is not a great thing for people to talk about, but, but pharmaceutical companies aren't out to cure disease. You know, at the end of the day, it's a business, and they, they need to create sustainability, and they do that by uh, creating treatments. That's not going to change the world. Treatments are going to prolong people's lives. It's going to generate more revenue, but it's not going to solve the problem. Cures are going to solve the problem. And I'm not saying Cure Token or Cure Chain or any of that's going to create the cure for cancer or ALS or any of these catastrophic diseases, but I believe it's going to be the vehicle for others to do it. And that's what I want to create. And this is coming back to my technology background and my passion, my philanthropy and the charity side. All of it's coming together in a way that I feel we're going to be able to make a difference. And I don't want to say we're going to change the world, but I think we're going to we're going to change lives. And we already are changing lives on a small scale and it's going to become a much larger scale. You know, one of the saddest facts about research in general, and I'll talk about pediatric cancer research because I know a lot about it. But one of the saddest facts is it's one of the most underfunded research areas within research, you know, the segments, only 4%, uh, this is a well-known fact, but only 4% of uh, U.S. government funding goes to pediatric cancer research. That's insignificant I mean, when you think about it. And yet by focusing on pediatric cancer research, it's going to have cascading effects into lung cancer and colon cancers and other forms of adulthood cancers that, uh, that there's a lot of money that goes to right now. And we really need to shift where the money's going. We need to push it down to the kids, the ones that by uh, making a difference, uh, their lives are going to be prolonged. And maybe, maybe these kids, by prolonging their lives, are going to be the ones who create the cure for cancer. You know, so I think I really believe that we need to focus on the youngest generations and the most aggressive form of cancers, and that's where we're going to get the biggest breakthroughs. Absolutely. And then going into into um, cure chain, right? You're basically talking about developing your own blockchain, a, a brand new um, layer one blockchain, meant to kind of be used by the healthcare system. Yeah, that's the concept and not exclusively by healthcare. I mean, at the end of the day, that's where we're going to start and that's where we're focusing. But this incentive-based, uh, reward-based, dynamic NFT, blockchain built with tokenomics, that whole concept can be applied to other industries. It's not exclusively healthcare and research. Uh, so it's a, it's a concept where you reward people for access to information. So it's a data-based fuel. So you fuel the blockchain through data. And the rewards are, are paid out passively to the owners of the data. So this is owning your own personal data, which everybody wants. Everybody needs that. That, that is something that has to occur. But, but also, it's the flip side of that. It's building in the reward system for researchers so that they can continue what they're doing and be sustainable. And, and as well, building in the, the aspect that this is community-driven, that uh, now... Uh, instead of uh, NIH and, and CDC and other types of uh, grant-based organizations are making decisions where research dollars goes, the decisions are going to come out of the communities. 
And I think that's one of the most exciting pieces of this. It's decentralizing the concept of research. Uh, and, it's, and again, all this was fueled by what we all lived through with the pandemic. And for all of our lives and forevermore, we're going to be defined by the pandemic. And I'm just grateful that what I believe to be two great concepts were a direct result of one of the most challenging times of our lifetimes. But we've got a lot of momentum. We've got some great ideas. We've got some big name people behind this initiative uh, that are, uh, I'm so confident that this is going to become a, a real thing. We're going to get there and we're going to have this be mainstream. And, and this is another gap. I mean, in the crypto space, there are not a lot of projects that deal in healthcare or specifically research. You know, crypto projects that are out there dealing in distribution and currency and proof of all these other sorts of things and are being applied to a variety of different industries as they should be. But healthcare and research is neglected. And I, I really feel that this could be the catalyst for a big change in the healthcare communities. One of the other facts about uh, healthcare is that it is such a difficult place for innovation to occur. And it, sti it stifles innovation. And, you know, you could have the smartest people working at a pharmaceutical or healthcare provider company that are coming up with the best ideas, but they're never going to see the daylight because of all the regulation, all the red tape, all the bureaucracy. That's why this has to come from the ground up. And this uh, decentralized layer one blockchain is just the way to do that and, and have the community own it at the end of the day. So it's not owned by a conglomerate that's just out to monetize data. This is owned by a community-driven initiative that's going to, to start from the bottom up and, and with the sole purpose of being the catalyst for change in the world. Yeah, and in order for for something like that to happen, right? Like you, you and you've mentioned this before, community driven, and a part of that, I would say that one of the big reasons for Bitcoin's emergence, right, was it had a, a small, passionate community at the beginning, and these and 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 the early Bitcoiners were so you know passionate and I guess uh, you know convinced about its potential and its future that they couldn't help but you know spread the news about it and what it was and how they intended to use it and change the world. And from there, a community starts emerging. And you're talking about the same thing, using this for, you know, for research and to incentivize people, get them moving, and really move away from this corporate model that the healthcare system has been under for God, God knows how long, right? But to that end, and you mentioned this before, you've done a, an amazing job of marketing it. You've been out there. You've been at the front of, of, of you know, AMAs on Twitter. You've done different interviews, podcasts. I've seen it. <laughs> One of the big announcements that you did you just had is you teamed up you're actually a sponsor for a nascar uh team which i i was like what you know that's a big deal you got a giant giant stage so you just recently announced a partnership with with nascar to have the to have cure token you know on these races could you talk about that yeah that's it you're right it is a it is a big deal i mean this is a this is a big deal. i remember watching last year i don't know what race it was it might have been daytona just put this in perspective i don't know much about nascar I think my extent of it is uh, Days of Thunder. And someone said it recently, I have to go watch Talladega Nights. But I don't know much about NASCAR. Uh, but what I do know is I was, uh, again, last year, I think we were watching uh, the news. And I think Dogecoin had a car. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, that, that they went out there. They got a lot of publicity and a lot of awareness about the project. And I felt that Cure needed to do the same. As I mentioned earlier, our project is resonating much further outside of crypto than it is inside. So what better place to get more eyeballs on your project than uh, NASCAR? They've got so many viewers. The demographic is the crypto demographic from an age perspective. And I'm like, this is, this is what we got to do. So one of our team members reached out to NASCAR uh, late last year and started conversations like, what does this cost and how do you do it? And, you know, is it, is it something even f for us to be feasible that we could even do and afford and uh, we realized that, well, it is possible. You know, this is within the means of the project. So we agreed to uh, a year-long uh, media campaign and sponsorship with NASCAR uh, across all our digital media platforms, which is actually starting in a few days here, I think February 2nd. And then, I didn't know this at the time, but when you deal with NASCAR, you actually are dealing with, with two or three different entities. One is you're dealing with NASCAR as a corporation, which is the marketing engine, the business side of things. But then if you want to sponsor a car, you actually have to sponsor it through a race team. So I challenged NASCAR to find a race team that our project would resonate with. 
you know, the, the philanthropy side, the pediatric cancer side, the crypto side, which is actually really difficult to navigate throughout NASCAR today. But uh, they found a race team for us that was the perfect fit. And they found a driver for us through that race team that was absolutely the perfect fit. Uh, you know, the, what resonated the most is that this race team, it's Colleg Racing out of North Carolina. They actually have a foundation of their own which focuses on, uh, on childhood. Uh, it's a childhood foundation for all, you know, things like, uh, like family support. And, and, you know, they do, I think they even do like building, like uh, similar things that we do, like build a wheelchair ramps and stuff like that. They just help as much as possible uh, to change lives of families that, that have, you know, problems through, through uh, health related issues of children. And it was just a, a really good and solid connection. And then when they told us the driver, uh, who is Noah, Noah Gregson. I, and I did some research on him. I'm like, this is the perfect driver. He's young. He's 23 years old. He's raced for six years professionally. He's been in uh, the Xfinity series, which is the second tier down from the uh, cup series for a few years. And I think he got second place last year overall or something like, don't hold me to it. But I think that's something like that. But all of this started to resonate. And then you know, they started telling me about his passion for, you know, he loves going to hospitals and meeting with kids and, you know, doing what he can to use his public image to make a difference. And I'm like, okay, I got to talk to this guy. So we, uh, we connected and we worked out a, a agreement that, you know, we were going to sponsor. Um, unfortunately, we could only sponsor a single race, uh, which we wanted to do it in September, which is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. But we're going to be doing a lot more than that. So we're looking at doing additional races, but as well, we're doing a lot to build up to the race and makes make this a really memorable experience and inclusive of nascar has even said when i pointed out you know you guys do so much for breast cancer awareness i don't want to diminish breast cancer you know i'm just saying they do a lot you got pink nets or pink wiper blades whatever they do they, they just they talk about it and all professional sports teams do something but nobody really does anything for pediatric cancer awareness month which is september you know breast cancer awareness month is october i want to bring light onto pediatric cancer and NASCAR wants to as well. So this year, I think they're going to go above and beyond to really shed a, a spotlight on pediatric cancer and the challenges there and, and how we should be putting more energy and attention to it. But our first race is going to be in Kansas City. Uh, we're hoping to do more, but that's, that's the one we've definitely got lined up for us. And, and as I said, we're doing a lot of events leading up to that. We've also developed a campaign which is called Race for a Cure. And Race for a Cure, you're going to see it everywhere. Uh, we are uh, going with uh, billboards. Uh, we are doing mainstream media and interviews. Uh, we're doing charity drops under that campaign. But all of that is uh, tied to Cure Token. You know, it's, uh, the concept is cryptocurrency is, is racing to a cure. And I, I really believe, and a lot of people think I'm, I talk too big or talk too lofty, but I really do believe that that cure is going to be the vehicle for real change and real impact. And that's what excites me the most at the end of the day is that my whole life has led up to this. You know, everything I've done from a professional perspective, everything I've done from a philanthropy perspective, you know, the fact that I've dedicated my life to a life of service, everything that has happened has happened for a reason. And it's all coming together in the form of cryptocurrency and blockchain and inevitably cure. And that's what I think is just so exciting and rewarding for myself, but also rewarding for the community members. You know, they, I think they, they believe in my passion. They, they, when I talk, they, they, I, I mean, I hope they believe me because I, I believe it, you know, I really do feel we're going to make a difference here. And, you know, this, at the end of the day, cryptocurrency is about making money. Everybody's in it for that reason. But, uh, but it's great to know that, that cure, I hope will, you know, afford people a lot of luxuries and they'll make money from it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's about doing good. And that's what I care about. The, how much impact can we have in society around the world, not just here in the U.S., but around the world, and really make a difference in the lives of uh, families who need it, as well as, as just, you know, in, just in research in general, and just enable it to be more effective and efficient, you know, and, and just be community-driven at the end of the day. So well said. And it's an interesting thing that what you just said, that, that people maybe think that, you know, you, you have these lofty ambitions for Cure Token, and they struggle to see it, right? One thing that you just said, you've dedicated your whole life to this, and you have, I mean, you prior to, to starting this cryptocurrency, you had a, a successful foundation that was making a difference. You said, you know, you had raised a million dollars. Like, you're legit, right? Because a lot of times the perception of charity is like, ah, uh, you know, you got, and you talked about this as well, siphoning off funds to, 
you know, to make other positions or to do these other things. Um, but you, you had an established foundation prior to doing that. But could you talk to me about some other, maybe some negative perceptions or some things that you've had to kind of work through as you're spreading the message of Cure Token? And how do you not convert, but how do you convince people that, you know, hey, I'm here to stay and I really do want to make a difference here? Yeah, that's, this has been a big problem since the beginning. And, you know, I've countered it as best as I can. You know, and I mentioned early on when when the when I started the project, I was right on the heels of one of the most public rug pulls out there in regards to a charity project, and it was difficult. I mean, I got so much, uh, so many people reaching out to me saying, "Oh, it's another scam. It's another charity scam." You know, stay away from this one. And you know, I I don't run away from people who are you know, they call them fud. You know, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, or whatever the term is, you know, people who try to stir up, you know, just panic. I actually go toward it head on and I try to convince people, you know, you can think what you want to think, but look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what CURE stands for. This project isn't going away. This is a project that was designed with one intention and that intention was to do good. At the end of the day, that's it. And, you know, I, you know, there's been times throughout the, the past uh, four or five months that we've been a project where there's been a lot of people who have said it's a scam, it's fraud, uh, you know, and I'm, I just show them, I said, look at what we're doing here. Look at the good we're doing. Look at what we're accomplishing. Look at what's on the horizon. You know, this is, uh, you know, myself, if I was outside of this project looking in, I would, I'd, I'd look at it as like, this is a great project. They've got the right foundation. And that's what we've been building right now. You know, the foundation side of things, the fact that we are in a down market, it's affecting so many projects, large and small. And, you know, we're looking at this as an opportunity. You know, the opportunity is let's build more technology. Let's double down on optimization. Let's double down on how we get better at what we do so that when the market picks back up, we're going to leapfrog in front of all the other projects out there uh, with, uh, you know, the time that we invested into making things stronger. But the concept of legitimacy, you know, from day one, I've said, uh, you know, to everyone around me in the community, this project needs to be about authenticity and it needs to be about transparency. And I've done my best to adhere to those two tenants. Uh, there's obviously times when I probably should do more, and I can, and I will. But the point is, is that, you know, I'm video doxed, I've done audits, every audit you can imagine, every, you know, I've done the KYC, which means nothing at the end of the day, but I've done everything. Anything that somebody says, you need to do this to prove to me that this is a legitimate project, I'm gonna do it, because I don't want people to have doubt, because this is a legitimate project. I'm, I'm in this uh, for the right reasons. And in fact, I have bought tokens in the past, uh, but they get burned. You know, I'm not in this to make a dime. My life revolves around the philanthropy side and the charity side. And all I want is to see that succeed. And I want more people to know about the problems and get more awareness about this devastating diseases and that these don't need to exist. So I need people to to just reach out to me if they got you know, doubt about the project or doubt about what we're doing. I mean, yeah, I love, I love talking about this stuff. I could talk about it for hours and, and I'll, I'll prove day in, day out that we're a legitimate project with legitimate goals and, and uh, everything that we have said we were going to do from day one, everything we've said, we've done it. And it hasn't been uh, small things, but we've done some big, big things. And we're going to continue to do that. This year, we've got some extremely lofty goals of what we're trying to achieve from a market cap perspective, from a community perspective, from a sponsorship and partnership. I mean, everything, every facet. I mean, we have a roadmap that is, I mean, I, I look at a lot of projects, you know, that's my hobby, but I think we have one of the most aggressive roadmaps out there. And we've broken it up into three categories. One is a technology roadmap, we have a marketing roadmap, and then we have a charity roadmap. And each of these roadmaps have goals and milestones that we're working toward independently of each other. And we're at pace to exceed our, our milestones, which I thought were uh, lofty last year. I was like, there's no way we're going to do that. But we're already doing it. You know, and from a marketing perspective, I never thought we would be on a NASCAR. I never thought we would go uh, mainstream to that degree, but we've done it. And from a charity perspective, I would have been happy, as I said, making 250 or $300 a day to help families and research. And we far exceeded that. And we're going to far exceed that by the end of this year. And it just seems like every goal that we set, it's it's conservative goal, you know. It's at the same time it's 
looked at as a lofty goal, but uh, but we've been exceeding every single benchmark that we throw out there. Without a doubt. And Jacob, thank you for, for sharing everything, man. I mean, the way you've laid it out and the way that you've thought it out and been an advocate, right, for you know, for pediatric cancer patients. I mean, that that is something that, you know, I'm, I'm a father of three. I can only imagine the horror, right, uh, of getting some news like that. And so, you know, your hands down, just, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, on my end, appreciation for the work that you do. You know, there are people who be listening. Where can they learn more about Cure Token? Um, how can they contact you? And what, what, are, what are the maybe the better uh, social media spots that you're on uh, where people can comment or, or look you up? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, the, the easiest place to go to is curetoken.com. You know, we also have Race for a Cure. Uh, dot com. That's the campaign we're running uh, for uh, NASCAR. Uh, but also, if people want to reach out to me, uh, they can go to my LinkedIn. Um, I also have my personal email in our solidity contract. I, I, I even think my cell phone number is in there in, in the comments. I am probably one of the most accessible uh, people within crypto. I am on Telegram, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, every, every single social media channel. And, you know, although I get a lot of responses or requests all day, uh, I, I do, you know, I do reach back out to people. And I, I, I think that I don't think there's any of any outstanding messages I haven't responded to. So I do personally respond, but I am extremely accessible. I love talking about this stuff and it doesn't even need to be just about pediatric cancer or the foundation or cure token. I'm, I've become a, a mentor and a guide to other people who want to start projects and to other people who are just curious about cryptocurrencies. And I, I just want more people to know, know about the foundation, know about the problem, but I also just want people to learn about crypto. I think that's a, it's a really important thing that is, is something, something that everybody's going to need to learn about. And I want to help do that. I want to be a, a piece of that education. So if anyone does have any questions, obviously come to curetoken.com first. Uh, but uh, from there, you'll branch out to all the social media channels. Awesome, man. Yeah, and, and I got to I gotta mention, you know, I, I had a, a big question I want to ask you, like innovation. You know, you're in the innovation space. And to me, it's like, that's awesome. And I'm like, what does that exactly entail, you know? And I, I mean that in the best way. Like, you know, when you're solving these difficult problems, I could see somebody wanting to reach out to you and, and, and getting your, you know, your mentorship, your guidance for different things. So, Jacob, thank you so much. Is there anything else that that maybe uh, you know we didn't touch on today uh, that you'd like to like to add on? Um, anything before before I say goodbye? Well, I, honestly, I think I think this was this was a great and really well thought through questions. You know, I'm I'm just pleased with uh, uh, with being able to cover off on a lot of the foundation side of things because that's what I'm most passionate about. I mean, obviously, cryptocurrency is why people are here, and that, you know, that's the end of the day, that's where we went. But uh, the foundation is what matters the most to me. I, I just really want to see that succeed and help as many people as possible. Uh, so no, I don't, I don't have anything. I mean, you've covered off on so much. I'm just grateful to have this opportunity to be able to share, you know, my mission, my calling in life. And I'm just happy as well that it came through the form of technology and cryptocurrency and blockchain because that's throughout my career, everything sort of pointed to that direction. And today, you know, we're focusing so much on NFTs, for example, in, in my mainstream job. Uh, through innovation. And it's just exciting that everything's like tying together. And I feel like my life has come full circle with every experience I've had throughout my life has just taken me to this point and taken cure to this point to be one of the most successful projects out there. I really believe we're going to, we're going to be up there for many years to come. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, man. I, I really, you know, wish you the best and I'm looking forward to seeing that car running around uh, in, in Kansas city that's going to be awesome seeing that, that Cure Token car going around and, and having that sponsorship go through. And I, I hope that when the time comes that you're not too busy and, and we can have you back in, in maybe a, you know six months or a year and kind of catch up and, and see how you're doing then. And, and I'm sure you're going to have, you know, you're going to be full of uh, more news and, and a bunch of updates. Absolutely. I'll be more than happy to come back at any point. And thank you so much for the thoughtful questions. I mean, this, it means a lot. Usually I get a lot of a lot of questions <laughs> that aren't, aren't really well thought through. So this was this was really great. The fact that Jacob is sponsoring a stock car on the NASCAR circuit is a testament to his will and desire to see Cure Token succeed. In speaking to him, I can unapologetically say that I believe in him and that he will have a profound impact on pediatric cancer research. I think that's something we can all get behind. And I'm looking forward to seeing where the Beckley Foundation and Cure Token is six months from now, an eternity in the crypto landscape. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let others know about it. We find our guests so interesting and knowledgeable, and I know others will too. Or leave a review or hit the follow button. 
Until the next episode, take care.